Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I never could have imagined. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The horrors that awaited me when I unknowingly accepted that mysterious cargo. As a trucker, I was accustomed to long hours on desolate roads, but nothing could have prepared me for the eerie journey that lay ahead. It started innocently enough. I received a last-minute request to transport an unusual shipment. The details were sparse, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Little did I know that decision would plunge me into a world of inexplicable terror. As I drove through those desolate roads, a sense of unease settled over me. Strange and unsettling occurrences began to unfold, casting an ominous shadow over my every move. But it was a sighting on that desolate highway that would forever etch itself into my memory. Out of nowhere I saw it, a creature unlike anything I had ever encountered. Its presence alone sent chills cascading down my spine. 
The creature crossed the highway with an eerie grace, its pale, human-like hand reaching out before me. I couldn't tear my eyes away from the sight. Large claws adorned its hand, glinting in the dim light, while its skin had a peculiar glass-like quality, glistening with a clear liquid. As my gaze lifted to its face, I was met with a sight that will haunt me until my dying breath. The creature had a large, terrifying face with milky white skin, and its eyes were a chilling sight to behold. Blue veins pulsed beneath them, like icy rivers coursing through its visage, its tongue long and serpent-like writhed and wriggled, the only part of it that seemed to move apart from the rustling trees and the wind. Antlers black as if covered in mold sprouted from its head, adding to its ominous and unnerving presence. It stood tall, towering above me, a massive deer-like humanoid that must have been seven to eight feet tall. In that moment, time seemed to slow as I absorbed the sheer terror of what lay before me. Instinctively, I slammed on the brakes, my heart pounding in my chest. I couldn't fathom the reality of what I was witnessing. The creature passed by, unaware of my presence, as if I were nothing more than a mere speck in its world. I was in awe, unable to believe what my eyes had just beheld. Frantically, I searched for a camera eager to capture evidence of this unearthly encounter. But my hopes were dashed as I discovered the camera's battery was drained, leaving me empty-handed. Disappointment mingled with lingering fear, as if the world conspired against me, erasing any tangible proof of what I had experienced. As I resumed my journey, the weight of what I had seen weighed heavily upon me. Questions raced through my mind, gnawing at my sanity. What was that creature? How could something so grotesque exist in our world? Doubt and disbelief clawed at the edges of my consciousness, but I knew deep down that what I had witnessed was real. I don't know if this counts as seclusion, but on my last deployment in Iraq, I was doing tons of night guard shifts. The FOB I was operating on had these old bunkers with large steel doors that were completely chained up. They would only open about an inch. One long night was creeping by, and I could have sworn I heard screaming like a female screaming. When I got near the bunker door, I could hear the screaming grow louder. It sounded like it was deep in the bunker. I tried to get inside, but there was no possible way. Then the screaming just stopped. I reported it to 9N, but they said it was sealed off. I can still hear the scream. Growing up, I lived in northern New Mexico in the mountains. When I was little, I didn't have much concept of the dangers of wild animals. There was one day I was in our front yard, and I was playing by myself when my mom came out and called me inside. She was kind of panicky and weird. Turns out there was a black bear not twenty feet from me, and I was totally oblivious. Another time, not long after that, we went on a walk down the gravel road by our house. Our neighbor's dog came with us because he was a good boy. We got about a quarter of a mile down the road, and the road got narrow, and the woods sort of crept up really close and were dense. My mom was pushing a double stroller with my siblings in it. All of a sudden, the dog starts acting really weird. 
growling and pushing my mom back towards our house. So she thought it was really weird, and we turned around. We heard later that day that there was a mountain lion sighting right around where we were. I bet little five-year-old me looked like a pretty tasty treat. A couple of years ago, my partner and I had freshly moved into a shared rental where I'd be closer to work. At the time, I didn't have my license, so my partner would take me every Friday to work at the local country veterinary clinic. On said five-minute trips back and forth to work on Friday mornings and evenings, we had spotted an abandoned farmhouse located next to the local abattoir, packed to the irrigation channel at the end of the driveway with large trees and shrubs, obviously been abandoned for a long time, for established trees to have barricaded the only entrance. One of our favorite things to do was to adventure into the abandoned, so one of the following nights we decided to drag along a housemate to check it out with us. Visit number one to get to this house. We had to cross the, at the time flooded, irrigation channel in the neighboring swampy paddock. After lots of walking through slop, hiding from passing cars and abattoir workmen, we finally managed to scale across another channel to be in the yard of said abandoned house. Before entering the house itself, we checked out the shed, full of 70s-era furniture and garbage, really, and an old school book belonging to a teenager from many years ago, with pictures of Brendan Fraser plastered all over the back and front cover. Did you? We entered the house and discovered it was abandoned as its construction contained asbestos. Nothing happened that night, and we set off back home to have that much-needed shower. Visit number two, after a few months, we decided to take another friend to come see this creepy house, this time hoping to stay longer to really get to know this place. All the same process of entering, and this time we went straight to the front door. My partner stood on the front step, reached for the handle. Then we heard hurried footsteps, humanoid stride, starting at the end closest to us to the far side of the house. We all paused and looked at each other, sort of freaking out. My partner insisted that we continue the adventure, so he opened the door. The first thing we noticed was that the closet in the entrance was open, when it wasn't last time, and the second thing we noticed, although this time was closer to summer, the house got very cold. After inspecting the cupboard, I then closed it. Before we made ourselves comfortable, we checked every room to make sure no one was there, checked every cupboard and hide away. Once we established there was no squatters or humans other than ourselves in the house, we decided to do the old dreaded circle thing to talk to what we thought may be a ghost. We made a circle in the kitchen of the house. Me, my partner, and my very hard-to-scare female friend, who seemed to be enjoying all this. My partner and friend were too shy to speak out, so I started by asking, is anyone there? No reply. I then proceeded to blabber on saying things like, we won't hurt you. We just want to know if you're here, and we promise we won't take anything. After a while of no response, uh, apart from growing amounts of gold, I gave up in my mind. But before I could say I give up, the cupboard in the front entrance, which was behind me, started to creak open. I first thought, yeah, we touched that, though, could just be a loose door. But as I turned around, those same hurried footsteps rushed from behind me to out the front of the house. No one was there, just empty footsteps. 
Of course. My reaction was, this is messed up. Let's go home now, and we rushed home pretty quick that time. We have since been to visit the house to show another friend, but it was clear the house had been disturbed by squatters. So there was no paranormal that night, just the usual marks of the degenerate society in an abandoned house. It was during my high school days when I had the most spine-chilling encounter of my life. I was an avid archery enthusiast and often went hunting for pigs along a creek not far from my home. The dense foliage in the active pig population made it the perfect spot for honing my skills. One evening, as the sun began to set, I was waiting patiently along the trail the pigs used, hoping they would show up before darkness fell. I could hear the rustling of a herd in the bushes on the far side of the creek, and excitement surged through my veins. Suddenly, the peaceful ambience was shattered by the sound of a pig screaming its head off. The rest of the herd scattered in a frenzy, and an eerie silence fell upon the area. My heart raced as I tried to make sense of what had just happened. Then I heard it, the growl of a mountain lion. The sound sent chills down my spine. Armed with nothing more than my bow, I felt incredibly vulnerable. I knew I had to get back to my truck as quickly as possible. As I hurried back, my mind raced with thoughts of the mountain lion and its potential prey. However, the more I thought about it, the more something felt off. The scream I'd heard from the pig was more guttural and desperate than I had ever experienced. It seemed almost unnatural. With every step I took, a nagging thought gnawed at me. What if it wasn't just a mountain lion? The idea seemed far-fetched, but I couldn't shake it. That's when it dawned on me. The Wendigo, a terrifying creature from Native American folklore, known to hunt in the wilderness and prey on the unsuspecting. I quickened my pace, and as I neared my truck, I could feel the temperature drop sharply. The air around me grew thick with tension, and I felt as if I was being watched. My instinct screamed at me to leave immediately. I made it to my truck and fumbled with the keys, my hands shaking. As the engine roared to life, I cast one last glance towards the creek. In the growing darkness, I could barely make out a tall, emaciated figure with hollow eyes and razor-sharp teeth, standing at the edge of the trees. The Wendigo. I slammed my foot on the gas, speeding away from the nightmare that had unfolded before me. The memory of that night remains vivid, a stark reminder that the world is full of mysteries and dangers that lurk just beyond our comprehension. Working a seasonal job in northeast Colorado just out of college, I was staying in housing provided by my employer with seven other folks. We all had an odd feeling about the place, but no real concrete reason for our feeling. After a few weeks, some odd things started happening, but once more, not enough to really prove anything. The turning point happened when one night the oldest guy in the group, 40-ish-year-old retired seal, was passed out on the couch with my lab sleeping behind it. The couch came out from the wall, and the back faced the kitchen and the double wide we were staying in. My dog started growling and staring into the kitchen about one in the morning, and that woke my buddy up. He sat up on the couch and told Remy to quiet down and lay down. She continued growling and staring into the kitchen, but eased her way around the couch to get further away. She eventually laid down in front of the couch. 
but my buddy was awake at this point, laying there listening because he trusted dogs when they told him something. He heard a click in the kitchen and sat up again to look. The old basic coffee pot in the kitchen had been turned on and nobody had been there. It had a toggle switch that couldn't just flip on by accident. At that point, he kind of just shrugged it off and went back to sleep, knowing there wasn't anything more to be done. It happened multiple more times over the following months, and we just kind of got used to the ghost or whatever it was messing with us. There were many other odd things that happened to us while we worked this job, but this was the easiest to explain. I grew up across the road from a fairly large, for the east, chunk of state land that I would hunt and hike on some, when I was probably 15. I was really getting into bow hunting, but being unable to drive, my only option, unless my dad was going to go to this public land. Now, this is northern West Virginia, thick mountain laurel and not a lot of deer on public land, but it was a way for me to get out. I had an old-school junkie climber that used wing nuts to strap to the tree, so it was super time-consuming to pack up in the dark. One night I hunted, and if I recall correctly, saw a couple deer out of range, which was rare, honestly. Since I'd seen deer, I was feeling brave and decided I'd sit till dark. Fifteen-year-old kid, not used to being alone. Kind of rare for me to actually stick it out, lol. So it gets dark, and I climb down and start packing up. I'm feeling a little uneasy because it's dark now, and I'm fiddling with this stand, when all of a sudden right behind me I hear a noise clear as day. The only way I can describe this noise is a really aggressive buck grunt. I jumped up and looked all around, but never saw anything or heard anything. I grabbed that stand and booked it out there without even strapping it all together. I spent 20 minutes trying to make my grunt make that noise without me blowing through it, but it wasn't going to happen. I have no clue what it was, but it took weeks before I hunted in there again, and I still feel uneasy after dark in there. Things as a kid have a way of sticking with you. I like to look for new, out-of-the-way fishing holes. If I'm on a trip and have my gear, I'll pull up a map, look at the different connecting waterways, and try to find back roads that may lead to spots that few people know about. On one trip about ten years ago, I'm in western Pennsylvania, and I'm looking for a road to connect me with this small and out-of-the-way stream that I found on the map. I'm in the country. It's not too desolate, but house are definitely getting farther and farther apart and looking more and more beat up. I surmise that I am really close to where this stream is supposed to be, so I turn down a dirt road that leads toward a tree line in the direction I believe this stream to be. The road starts out in okay shape, but as soon as I pass into the tree line stuff gets weird. It's mid-afternoon, but the canopy of trees is so thick that it suddenly looks like dusk. Then the road very quickly deteriorates, starts to close in, and then starts to vanish. There are banks on either side of me, so I figure I'm on some sort of old logging road that rarely, if ever, gets vehicles on it anymore. The road is getting worse and worse. Large rocks start appearing at random spots in the road, first sporadically and then more frequently. It's very unnatural looking. It looks like they were placed on purpose. My car is 4WWD. 
But I'm getting a little worried because the rocks are getting larger and combine this with how tight the road now is and driving around them is becoming sketchy. I'm now driving very slow to not pop a tire or make a wrong move and get stuck on the bank or something. The road suddenly takes a very sharp left hand and downward turn. I creep along this turn, but stop as I see the road continuing this weird downward trajectory. At this moment, my gut starts talking to me and telling me to turn around, but it's at this point I realize I can't. The road is not wide enough to do a three-point turn. I could chance it, but I didn't want to get my front end caught on something pushing over the bank or my back end, going off the back in the other direction and getting stuck. I say to myself, keep pushing forward and you are bound to get just enough room to turn around shortly. As I make my way driving this weird downward road with sharp curves and oddly placed rocks, I start to see items off to the sides of the road. At first it just garbage, bottles, boxes, wrappers, etc., Then I start seeing toys, kids' toys, lots of them, an uncomfortable amount. Then I start seeing clothes. Some look old and weathered like they've been there for years, and some look fairly new. The amount of clothes I'm seeing also increases. Then I start seeing mattresses. Not one random mattress. Lots of mattresses. All over the place. There are dirty and dark stains on them. My gut is now screaming at me to get the F out, but I still don't have room to turn around. While I'm sitting there and trying to figure out my next move, I get that distinct feeling that I'm being watched. The moment that feeling hits me, I audibly yell at myself, nope. Then I slam the car in reverse and drive reverse, dodging all of the random rocks and all the way back up and out the sharp turns until the path levels out again. I go full of this mode and risk making the three-point turn. My back end goes slightly off the bank, and I slam back into drive and pound the gas to throw myself back onto the road and out of whatever Darkwood's bullshit I had discovered. I have no clue what I happened across that day. Best case scenario was probably some deep woods meth den. All I know is that ever since then, no matter what I'm doing, The moment my gut starts telling me to get out, I get out. This happened about a year ago to me and my husband. Sorry in advance for the long story. It was our 10th anniversary, so we decided to go camping. Just the two of us, and of course our dog. There's a big national park camping area near where we live little less than an hour drive, so that was where we were heading. It's basically a big forest with many small lakes, ponds, trails, and camping sites around. Pretty popular place during summer, but we still saw some people even though it was late September and the weather was cold. We found a good spot next to a lake to set up our camp. It was a beautiful day, so we wanted to hike a bit in the forest. There was a nice long path that was going around the lake where we had our camp, so we chose to go that way. The lake was quite small, and there was another camping site by it. You could see there from our camp, and from there you could see our camp. They were almost on opposite sides of the lake. We walked past the another camp and saw a man there alone, just standing and staring us, not answering when we greeted him. He was maybe in his late twenties, around the same age as us. I thought at that point that he was maybe just shy and little weird. 
He had a small tent set up and some other stuff all around the place. So I figured he had been there a while. We just continued walking and didn't think much to it. Eventually, we got to our camp and started to set up our tent before it's too dark. We made some food by the fire and just sat there enjoying the peace. Suddenly, our dog starts barking like crazy. She was tied to a long wire around a tree. We immediately realized that she wasn't just paranoid and that there really was something in the woods and it was near. It had been very dark for hours at that point. I took the dog to a leash and my husband started to look around with his bright headlamp. Our dog just kept barking. We were confused and sure it was some kind of animal, maybe a bear or a moose, but we couldn't understand why it wasn't scared of us and why it wouldn't run away. My husband went ahead to the path that leads to the another camp. Right when he got to the path, which was just less than ten meters away from our camp, he saw something on the ground. I told him to go check it out and followed with our dog. He stopped, turned at me and said, It's a human laying on the ground. The first thing I thought was that maybe they were hurt or dead or something. They just laid there not moving, facing the ground. We asked, Are you okay? Are you hurt? And they just suddenly stood up. Turned out it was the guy from the another camp. He was very scared of our dog and told me not to let her near him. I was kind of relieved that it wasn't some creepy-ass bear that was going to eat us, but I soon learned that a bear might have been less scarier than this guy. After he stood up, he walked straight to our campfire and sat down. My husband tried to ask him multiple times why he was sneaking in the dark forest without any light. He didn't give us any answer. We even laughed a bit and told him how we thought he was a damn bear or some shit, but he didn't even smile just stared at the fire, looking annoyed. His right leg was soaking wet. He probably stepped off the path and dipped it in the lake on his way to our camp. He sat with us for 30 minutes, not talking much. He also clearly wanted to know where our dog was at all times. I saw he had a knife hanging from his belt, but I guess it's not that weird when you're in the woods. Every few minutes he put his hand in his pocket and just peeked of whatever was in there. Kind of like checking the time on your phone without taking it from your pocket. But it wasn't a phone he had there. I felt very uncomfortable and anxious by the whole situation. So, when the 30 minutes had passed, he again stood up and mumbled about going back to his own camp. And left. He never gave us any explanation of why he came to our camp or why he was stalking us in the dark. He tried very hard not to be seen when we found him. When I thought he was far enough, I told my husband that there's no way I'm sleeping in that tent. The biggest nope ever. Fortunately for me, he agreed and said that the guy might come back when they're sleeping. I just wanted to leave ASAP, so my husband started packing things up. Our car was nearby, thank God. And I was guarding and looking around with a light if he comes back. Just when we had almost all of our stuff in the car, I saw a quick flash of light on the path from the guy's camp towards ours. He was coming back. Maybe he thought we went to sleep because he couldn't see our campfire anymore. So yeah, we got in the car and left real quick. I don't know if we overreacted, but I had such a bad feeling about him. Who crawls in the dark, wet forest alone just to stalk some strangers? What would have he done if our dog wouldn't have heard him? What were his motives? Maybe stab us to death when we're sleeping. I don't know and didn't want to stay there and find out.
I'm just glad we had our dog with us. There's a chance she saved our lives. I think people are the scariest thing to find at night when you're camping. It was about a year ago when I went to visit a friend for some casual drinks. But as the night wore on, we ended up having more than just one beer. Time passed quickly, and before I knew it, I had missed my last train home. My friend, being the ungracious host that he is, didn't offer to let me stay over for the night. Left with no other choice, I had to embark on a two-hour walk in the freezing cold. With a temperature at 10 degrees Celsius and my body still buzzing from the alcohol, I wasn't exactly thrilled about the situation. As I reached the halfway point, I found myself walking near the woods on a narrow path, just wide enough for a car to pass. Out of nowhere, a car pulled up behind me, slowly drove past, and then, about 50 meters ahead, made a U-turn before coming back. I was already feeling weirded out, but then the car did the same thing again. By the time the car seemed poised to repeat the maneuver for a third time, I was so creeped out that I just started sprinting. Maybe it was just a stranger who was curious about what I was doing there alone, or maybe it was something far more sinister. I'll never really know. Regardless of the driver's intentions, that night remains etched in my memory as one of the creepiest experiences I've ever had. The combination of being alone in the cold near the woods and being pursued by an unknown driver is something I'll never forget. In the vast wilderness of Grand Teton National Park, I, Jake, a seasoned hunter, ventured deep into the heart of the forest, driven by the desire to track down an elusive prey. The park's breathtaking mountains, crystal clear lakes, and dense forests had always captivated me, drawing me in with their raw beauty and abundant wildlife. Over the years, I had become intimately familiar with its rugged terrains, honing my skills and finding solace in the serenity of the landscape. But today was different. I yearned for a challenge beyond the usual moose or elk. I craved an opportunity to prove myself, to test my abilities against a creature known for its cunning and resilience. Filled with anticipation and excitement, I left the well-trodden trails behind and embarked on a solitary expedition into uncharted territory. As I ventured deeper into the woods, a peculiar sight caught my attention, a set of stairs leading to nowhere. Intrigued by this mysterious structure amidst the wilderness, I couldn't resist the pull of curiosity. Climbing those steps would soon set in motion a series of strange and unsettling events. The atmosphere grew increasingly eerie as I continued my journey. The dense foliage seemed to conceal hidden dangers, and the air carried peculiar sounds that echoed through the trees. Elusive shadows flitted between the trunks, evoking a sense of unease that lingered within me. It was as if unseen eyes watched my every move, sending chills down my spine. As night descended upon the land, transforming the surroundings into a haunting tableau, whispers filled the air, intertwining with the rustling leaves. The feeling of foreboding intensified. And then I saw it, an unprecedented predator unlike anything I had encountered before. 
towering at least ten feet tall with its grotesque features, a face devoid of a nose, massive claws, and teeth sharp as razors. It resembled a bear on a lethal dose of steroids. With lightning speed, it lunged at me, fueled by primal ferocity. Instinct took over, and I raised my rifle in a desperate attempt to defend myself. But my shots proved futile against the creature's formidable strength. It effortlessly overpowered me, flinging me aside as if I were insignificant. Amidst the chaos, I fought to regain control, to steady my racing heart and focus on survival. Escaping became my sole objective. Driven by sheer determination and fueled by adrenaline, I navigated treacherous terrain with urgency. Every muscle strained, every fiber of my being devoted to evading the predator's relentless pursuit. I fired sporadically, my rifle discharging shots in a wild attempt to slow down my pursuer. And then, luck smiled upon me. An errant bullet found its mark, piercing through the creature's head and causing it to collapse, lifeless to the forest floor. Breathing heavily, my body trembling with exhaustion and relief, I approached the fallen predator cautiously. But before I could fully comprehend the gravity of the situation, the unmistakable sound of jeep tires reached my ears. In disbelief, I watched as several black jeeps, emblazoned with the distinctive insignia of the CIA, arrived on the scene. Men dressed in black suits swiftly emerged from the vehicles, their movements calculated and efficient as they contained the lifeless creature. Confusion and a sense of unease gripped me as I approached the enigmatic men. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. My voice betraying my astonishment. What is that thing? I managed to utter. My wide eyes searching for answers. The men exchanged knowing glances, their faces revealing nothing but secrecy. Finally, one of them spoke, his tone cryptic yet filled with a warning. Just forget everything you saw here. We're watching you. With that, they vanished into the night, leaving me alone with my bewildered thoughts and the lingering questions that would haunt me for days to come. I was heading out to an abandoned farmhouse to hang out and drink some beers with four friends. Dark as hell in the middle of the woods. You have to follow the old overgrown driveway that starts where the road ends like a mile back. You can't drive back there anymore. It's like 30 years overgrown. The house belonged to the parents of the next closest house. That's about three miles away as the crow flies. I know them. And they're okay with us going back there, so we weren't trespassing. Anyway, we're walking back there with a couple flashlights, and we were loud and should have scared any wildlife off well before we got close to see anything. Out of nowhere, there's this giant ghost dog the size of a side-by-side at A. I mean, full-on blue. 
green glowing canda shaggy dog in the middle of the woods. This animal is huge. No bears in that part of the country either, which is the only thing I could compare it to size-wise. And we were close before we saw it, maybe 20 to 30 yards. It was just there. Its movements were loud against the ground and brush, but made no sound itself. You could feel it move. We stopped, it paused, looked at us, and ran off. Then it was just gone, like it only ran maybe 10 to 15 yards before just nothing. We turned tail and noped the hell out of there. We did go back during the day. Not sure what we were looking for, evidence-wise, but we never did find anything. I never went back there in the dark, though. I'm a rational person. I acknowledge I have a limit to my intelligence and experience. I've seen shit I cannot rationally explain. This, by far, I had no frame of reference for. This incident actually occurred last year when I was out deer hunting. I had positioned myself against a sturdy tree perched on a log overlooking a rather sizable clearing. The time was around 9 a.m. when I suddenly heard an immense presence behind me, undoubtedly a Sasquatch. It was merely 15 yards away, and the sound of its heavy panting confirmed its colossal size. Intrigued yet cautious, I remained perfectly still not daring to make a single movement. The minutes ticked by, and it wasn't until 9.30 a.m., approximately 15 minutes after the creature's presence ceased, that I finally gathered the courage to stand up and cautiously survey my surroundings. To my astonishment, I noticed a one-half branch that had been snapped cleanly in half, roughly three feet above the ground. The sheer force required to break such a substantial branch indicated the immense strength possessed by these creatures. New Year's Eve, 1990. One, my wife and I were walking into Boulder Cave at about 8 or 9 p.m. There was very little snow on the trail, just a skiff. It was a clear, brilliant night. No moon, but crisp stars and the occasional cloud. It was dark, but we had flashlights and warm clothes, and we walking in to meet some friends and spend the night at the cave to celebrate New Year's Eve. If you were wondering, we were bother sober, having met a few years earlier in a... I, uh, back then, the USFS wasn't worried about bats, and you could hike into the cave at any time of the year. Now it closes in the fall to preserve some near-mythical bats that may or may not live in a cave. No one has ever seen these bats except for scientists, and they are probably just pulling our legs. As we made our way up the trail, well made, not very steep, winding through the darkened pines, we could hear children's voices in the distance, like a schoolyard or a playground or a yard full of happy children running and yelling and laughing far, far away. At first, we tried to think of what it could be, maybe someone in a cabin or people staying at Camp Rogananda, but on our way in we'd seen no cars or tracks or sign of anyone else in the area. Rogananda was closed down tight and no camps, lights, or fires off in the distance or by the road. What was a large group of children doing playing loudly in the distance? Up a canyon in the middle of the woods, on New Year's Eve. 
It couldn't be sledders because there was barely any snow, and it was way too late for a group of little kids to be frolicking unsupervised in the woods. It was weird and didn't make any sense, but we kept hearing it. There was an odd, consistent quality to the laughing children noise. It faded in and out of hearing just on the edge of being there, carried by the wind as if from a great distance, funneled and shaped by the mountains and trees and streams until it found our ears, then back out again, to be, lost for a moment, only to return, laughing, yelling, calling, shouting, playing children, fading in and out as we would stop and listen, till it went away, then walk a few dozen more yards, only to stop and listen again. We said, do you hear that? Do you hear that? And would wonder to each other what it could be. On and on, as we walked up the trail, the children haunted us, laughing and screaming and yelling just beyond reason and hearing, like sound waves coming through the flames of a campfire, ghost voices traveling on the crisp night air. Anyway, we got to the cave and told our friends about it and puzzled together but forgot about it after a while and played our flutes and listened to New Age music on a boombox with cassette tapes and burned candles and talked philosophy and mystery and deep meaning around the fire until the wee hours of the morning. It was a wonderful time. Walking out, something had changed, subtly. The wood seemed a bit ominous. Maybe we were just tired, but... As we made our way down the trail, my wife spotted something odd propped against the base of a tree. It was meant to be found, I think by us, I believe. We thought, at the time, that it had been left for us by whoever or whatever made the laughing noises. As older and more cynical as I am now, I can still believe that is or could be true, though it certainly wasn't the work of children the object. It is impossible to adequately describe the object. My mind stubbornly refuses to remember it as a whole. I remember the details of its construction and its size and general shape. My wife says it was a man, a figurine of a human. I have to believe her because when I try to picture it, my mind draws a blank. Its construction was like nothing I've ever seen before or since. It was a small, abstract figurine, woven of tiny sticks, moss, pine needle, and lichen. The bear's hair moss had been braided in individual strands into tiny ropes, which wove in and out of bits of lichen and tiny, tiny sticks around some bigger sticks, smaller than the diameter of a pencil. The main framework of small sticks was lashed together with what looked like the inner bark of cedar, woven into braids and tiny ropes. The workmanship was so intricate and subtle and bizarre that, as we picked it up and looked at it, we are at first amazed, then just a little bit shook. It was unworldly, yet complex and woven and weaved from woodland materials, seeming gathered at random with great skill, assembled with patience and practice by tiny, nimble hands. For what purpose, we had no idea. The damn thing was weird. It was easy to dismiss the laughing children as a natural phenomenon. The wind, our imaginations, are just some strange, inexplicable happenings that had a perfectly logical explanation. The figurine was real, and it wasn't on the trail side on the way up. And no one else had been to the cave while we were there. 
No cars, footprints, no marks in the snow. Nothing. I put it in my pack, took it home, and kept it for a while, broodingly examining it closely for clues about I don't know what. The thing was creepy and full of bad magic, and after a while I threw it away. Fast forward, this incident got filed away in my memory, and I gradually forgot about it. Mostly. A few years later, in the mid-1990s, I got job working for a local tribe. This job involved lots of downtime and my native co-worker, and I would talk about life and stories and such. One day, I casually recounted this series of events, and when I got to the part about the laughing children, his head snapped around, and he became alert and acutely interested. He quizzed me about every detail, and I recounted the story as I've told it here. He was a reticent guy, but he told me point-blank that we'd run into stick Indians and explained briefly what stick Indians are. Warning, do not bring up the subject of stick Indians with a native. It is a forbidden subject, trust me. Natives don't like to talk about stick Indians. It's impolite to bring them up in conversation. Please don't, briefly. The true nature and physical attributes of stick Indians are unknown. No one, to my knowledge, has ever encountered a stick Indian and survived to talk about it. So the myth is recounted to me, and what little I can find to read about them is that stick Indians are small, vicious and cunning, semi-man-like, but about three to four feet tall and very skinny, with elongated arms and legs and sharp teeth and claws on their hands and feet. They live in deep forests and are occasionally heard but never seen. The laughing that we heard is how they lure victims out into the forest, where they become disoriented and lost as they attempt to locate the children playing in the woods. If the victim is an adult, the presumption is that they are attacked and eaten, and whatever remains after the stick Indians fed are never found. The person becomes permanently lost. If the victim is a small child, the stick Indians turn them into another stick Indian through some dark stick Indian magic. This is how they get new recruits. There is much more to the legend and much more to say that others have told me since. But it is getting late and some things are best left unsaid. For a long time I didn't feel like I should carry tales or hazard the risk of upsetting natives by speaking these things aloud. So until now, I've kept these events mostly to myself. I respect the forest mysteries, the natural world, and indigenous peoples, and honor their beliefs. The story of stick Indians would be just another interesting tale for me if I hadn't experienced them myself, maybe. As such, I was privileged with the information I describe here, and believe I relayed as honestly and accurately as I am able. Maybe it wasn't real, and maybe you don't believe me, or maybe there is an explanation for it all that makes sense. But know this. As a practical matter, warn your children. Tell them not to follow the sound of children playing when they are in the woods. Tell them as they follow the sound of children in the distance. They might get lost and never come back. Like other legends and myths and tales, there is a kernel of truth at the center, and some truths are bigger than others. For me, I don't know what to think about what happened to us. I only know that it did. Each time I sleep, I leave my phone on the bed in front of me on the other side as the bed is very large and there's all that empty space. 
I can see the phone at all times, and it's just a routine to leave it there every time. I laid down and closed my eyes and was about to sleep when suddenly I hear this weird and rough vibrating noise from my pillow right under my head. I immediately opened my eyes, terrified, but didn't want to move because I was trying to process what's going on. I was staring at my phone the entire time this was happening as I was trying to understand where this is coming from, and it was not coming from my phone. After it stopped, I looked under the pillow to try to understand how this happened, but there was nothing there. Not only the fact my phone was too far away to be the cause of this noise, my phone vibrates and breaks, not one long vibration, and it does not vibrate for so long. It's also never that loud. The pillow was slightly moving along with the noise as if something was directly under it. I've only had sleep paralysis once, and this was not it. I have not fallen asleep yet at the time. I moved soon after the noise and movement stopped and did not feel like I couldn't move in the first place. Does anyone have the slightest idea what the hell happened? This is one thing that's going to keep bugging me as I cannot explain it at all. Me and my buddies decided to embark on a thrilling adventure by going camping in the mountains for two weeks. We were eager to escape the bustling city life and immerse ourselves in the tranquility of nature. Little did we know that this trip would take an unexpected turn forever etched in our memories. As we set up our campsite, the crisp mountain air filled our lungs and the breathtaking scenery enveloped us. Each day was filled with hiking, fishing, and sharing stories around the crackling fireplace under the starlit sky. Our bond grew stronger and laughter echoed through the woods. However, one fateful morning, our carefree spirits were shattered by a gruesome discovery. I woke to an eerie silence, only to be met with the sight of a dead cow lying motionless next to our once warm and inviting fireplace. Shock and confusion gripped us as we approached the scene. The cow's lifeless body was marred by deep, claw-like marks that covered its entire corpse. It was a horrifying sight, the aftermath of a brutal encounter. We were filled with a mixture of fear, disbelief, and a profound sense of unease. How had this happened? And more unsettlingly, how had we slept through it? The realization sunk in that we were not alone in these mountains. Something sinister lurked in the shadows, silently observing our every move. We couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched, and the safety of our campsite had been compromised. Our idyllic retreat had transformed into a chilling mystery, one we couldn't ignore. Fear tightened its grip on us, overshadowing the once adventurous spirit that brought us here. The joyful camaraderie we had cherished now gave way to a sense of vulnerability. We knew deep down that it was time to abandon our expedition, to retreat from the unknown dangers lurking in the wilderness. Reluctantly, we packed our belongings, leaving behind the serenity we had sought. The mountains that had initially welcomed us with open arms now held a menacing aura, the memories we had created would forever be shattered by the enigma surrounding that dead cow. As we trekked back to civilization, our conversations grew somber. We exchanged speculative theories about the mysterious predator that had invaded our campsite, questioning the true nature of the wilderness we had dared to explore. 
It was a journey that had changed us, awakening a primal fear of the unknown and reminding us of our vulnerability in the face of nature's unyielding forces. Years have passed since that ill-fated camping trip, yet the memory of the dead cow remains vivid in my mind. It serves as a poignant reminder that sometimes, even in the pursuit of adventure, it is necessary to acknowledge the signs and heed the warnings. The mountains may still call to me, but I approach them now with a newfound reverence, forever mindful of the secrets they hold. I had been working as a park ranger at Little Buffalo State Park in central Pennsylvania for about six months when I had my encounter. It was August of 2006. My partner and I were driving around the park at night to do a final check of the area for the evening. We were about halfway through our section of the park when we got a call from dispatch saying that there was a camper who wanted us to come out and take a look at his RV because he thought it had been vandalized or broken into. I told dispatch that we would be there shortly. We turned our vehicle around and we arrived at this campsite within five minutes or so. We found a gentleman in his mid-sixties standing outside his RV and looking very nervous. He walked up to our truck and I asked him if we could please take a look at his camper. His behavior was very unusual and so he cautiously agreed and walked over to the camper with us following closely behind. He was very nervous and he kept looking around the entire time almost like he was expecting something to jump out. We took a quick look inside the camper and found nothing that appeared to be out of place or missing. I asked him if anything had been taken from inside, and he said no, but that there were some things that he thought were moved around during the short time he was gone. I looked around for another minute or so before telling him that we didn't see anything wrong. We thanked him for calling us, and then we started walking back towards the truck. That's when my partner, who is an avid hunter, said to me, Do you smell that? I stopped walking for a second because I honestly didn't notice any kind of odor other than the normal smell of a state park campground, mildew, pine needles, etc. My partner has spent many hours in the woods, so he knows his smells. He told me that it smelled like something was trying to cover up its own scent, and now that he said that that's when I noticed it too, it was a very light odor, but definitely there. We looked around for another minute or so before my partner said, I think we need to get out of here. We got into our truck and drove off towards the main area of the park, which is about one mile away from where we were at the campsite. We navigated our way up a path, and as soon as we got onto the main road that travels through the park, we both saw it. It looked like a seven to eight foot tall creature walking along the road. I was driving, so I didn't get a good look at it, but my partner saw it walk out onto the road in front of us. It then quickly crossed to the other side, where there was more vegetation and trees. He said that he could only see the backside as it walked across the road, but that it had very wide shoulders, almost too wide for its body. He also said that he thought he could see long black hair covering its arms and shoulders, but he wasn't sure because it was dark. We drove around looking for this thing for about an hour. We had no luck finding anything else unusual, so we eventually gave up and returned to the office. The next day I couldn't stop thinking about it, so I went back to the site by myself in hopes of finding any evidence of what we saw or smelled there.
but we found nothing out of place or unusual in any way. I decided to just move on and not focus on it, since no concrete evidence could be found. I've heard of other encounters in this area as well, which makes me believe that there is something going on out here for sure. Also, there have been sightings reported from this area all the way over to Harrisburg. Anyway, that's my story. I'm not here to convince anybody that what I saw was real, but I know that what I saw and smelled was real. Also, there have been several reports of dead deer in the area, deer that are torn apart but not eaten. Now, that's very unusual, to say the least. So I'm wondering if this is all connected somehow. The most common theory among hunters around here is that something is killing deer just for sport and then covering up its tracks or scent with another odor to mask its own. I can't quite figure out how that would work, but that's what some people are saying. In the end, I'm not sure exactly what I think is going on. A military man, Jay, went outside to have a smoke. He lives in the hills surrounding Deadwood, South Dakota. He spotted two kids walking up a hill. They stopped and looked at Jay, which spooked him. They were wearing dark hoodies and looked very strange. They turned and started to walk in Jay's direction. As they approached, Jay could plainly see that their eyes were completely black. They started to cross the street, walking directly towards Jay, who introduced himself to them. They continued to advance toward him without saying a word. Frightened, he retreated into the house. Inside, he asked his wife if she heard him talking to the kid. She never heard anything. They soon went to bed. Jay then noticed one of the boys outside his window. He rushed to bolt the front door, as one of them was there too. He never made it to the door. For whatever reason, he turned around and went back to the bedroom, where he saw the boy standing outside his window. He went to grab his pistol. He wanted to scare them off. He assumed they were wearing masks. One was at the window and another was at the door. He was extremely scared now. The next thing he remembered was waking up in bed. His wife informed him that he had been gone for an hour and a half. I did hear the door open and close. You weren't there, she told him. Jade left the house at 4 a.m. and didn't return home until around 5.30 a.m. He rose out of bed and looked at his slippers on the floor beside him. The slippers were wet and a bit muddy. There were wet spots on the hallway and bedroom floor as well. He didn't remember anything other than seeing the black-eyed kid at the window, then waking in his bed later. Was Jay abducted by these black-eyed kids? What did they want? Greetings. I hate to be a bother, but I, I have a story to tell. Please do not think my mind is going from the many stories you all hear, and bear with me that this is very hard for me to do, although I believe it needs to be said. Last summer on July 4th, 2017, around 10 p.m. at night, I was driving home from my family cookout. Late at night, I was also off duty. It was about 11 p.m. near the swamps by this point, and I live in Gulfport, Mississippi. What I saw, a figure up ahead on the side of the road, caught my attention. As I got closer, what I thought was a normal man, I soon realized that this was not the case. It stood over eight feet tall, long legs and arms that reached down below its knees. 
It had dark scales all over its body, but most notable were its hands, which hosted four fingers, each with long claws. The most bizarre thing, though, was its head, which appeared more like an iguana or a dinosaur than a human being. Upon seeing this strange creature, I slammed on my brakes in total shock, not knowing what to make of what I was looking at. It didn't take long, though, before I became aware of my presence as it quickly turned its head, looking directly at me with going yellow eyes, in some sort of light that seemed to emit from within its skull. And then it began walking towards my vehicle as if trying to scare me or intimidate me to leave. In a panic, I reached for my gun, which was on the seat next to me, quickly aiming it at the creature's head, not knowing if shooting this thing would kill it or not, but wanting to stop whatever this thing was, in hopes it would just leave. As soon as I took aim, this thing let out a nasty growl and came rushing at me with great speed. Seeing this thing moving so quickly, I was overwhelmed with fear, slamming my foot on the gas as fast as I could. The last thing I remember is seeing in my rearview mirror if it was going to give chase, but instead it just turned around and kept going back into the marsh. I don't know how long it took me to get home that night, but all I knew is that at the time, whatever the creature was, Satan himself couldn't have been any more evil looking. I went home immediately after and told my family what had happened, but of course they didn't believe a word of it. There were no tracks or anything else to prove the encounter ever happened. However, about a week went by, and I could swear I smelled that same deathly stench coming from the swamps when I drove by again, but no sign of it. So I just dismissed it all, thinking it was a trick being played by my mind. I've watched a couple of your encounters on your YouTube, hoping to find any proof of anything that might explain what happened to me that night. But after a while, you just learn and let it go. Until this past spring, one of our own deputies told me he had an encounter with one of these creatures in the swamps himself back in 2015. He said that he had seen something covered in mud running through the brush, trying to hide, only then to turn its head at him before turning around and disappearing into thin air. He also said that shortly after seeing whatever this thing was, his cruiser's engine gave out, along with metal bending, that he had to have the thing towed back into town. I don't know if there's any truth to what we saw, but I'm not taking my chances, and I will pray every night before going to sleep for the Lord and Savior to keep me safe from whatever we might have encountered out there in the swamps. Last year, in June 2022, 17 cats went missing from my ranch. I have a private rescue providing heated cat hotels, food, a lake, seven, stall stables, and medical care for 35 cats. We have bears and mountain lions and deer, too, all wild. This is on the Kentucky or Tennessee state line. One morning last August, my German shepherd and I started our morning walk when a vomit-inducing stench crossed trail winds. It was a horrid smell of urine, dead rotting flesh, and feces. My dog started growling as we approached the end of our 29-foot camper in the driveway. Then he went nuts, charging against his leash, barking, jumping four. Five feet in the air, in front of us. Then he pinned his shoulder to my knee and pulled me to the left then back to center, then back to right, 
back to center, the whole time staring up at a 45-degree angle. The hair on my neck raised up, and I pulled my 45 caliber pistol for a possible shot from the hip. I practice hip shooting a lot. I noticed with the barrel pointed out, it was level with the ground. But when I pointed it to where the dog's nose was pointed, and it was eight, nine feet above the ground, I've trained most of my life to remain calm during a crisis. Noting how high the muzzle was pointed, the stench, my dog's behavior, and my location, I thought I may be looking at a cloaked Bigfoot, invisible to humans, but not to dogs. I began talking to it in a calm, slow, baritone command voice. I told it I was tired of it killing my cats. My cats were my kids, feeding them, housing them, giving them meds, and protecting them was my job. If it didn't stop using them as snacks, I would kill him. I don't want to kill you, but I will, I said. Stop killing my cats. There are a lot more humans than there are of your type. How would you like to be hunted down? As I finished, my dog sat, but continued to stare nine feet off of the ground. Soon the stench was gone, and my dog relaxed. Over the next couple of months, I began to see rabbits, skunks, deer, and coyotes, and my cats stopped disappearing. I'm a retired airline pilot and former Special Forces soldier and worked for 10 years as a police officer. I live near Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I'm a believer.